Welcome to the Rolling Passions podcast. This podcast is one part of a research project with the same name, which seeks to explore autistic adults' passionate interests from a socio-cultural perspective. I'm Chris Bailey, an autistic senior lecturer and researcher from Sheffield Hanlon University, and across a series of episodes, I'll be reflecting on aspects of autistic lived experience in relation to what are often called autistic special interests. I'll be talking to other autistic people about their own interests in order to illuminate the complexity and diversity of autistic culture as a means of depathologizing the discourse around autism. I'm grateful to the UK Literacy Association, the UKLA, for funding this project with a research grant and to Sheffield Hallam University for supporting the project with a fellowship. You can find more about the project itself by going to the website at www.rollingpassions.wordpress.com. I am honoured and delighted to introduce and welcome Dr. Nick Walker to the podcast. As usual, I ask guests to introduce themselves in any way that they like. I think I can rant on about people, but sometimes not say the things they want to say about themselves. So Nick, can I give the the podcast over to you for a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. I'll take it. Yes. Thanks for having me here. I'm Dr. Nick Walker and a queer autistic trans woman. My pronouns are she, her. I have been involved in autistic community and culture for two decades now, kind of uh, uh, been a influence in shaping the uh, discourse that eventually turned into the field of neurodiversity studies developed a bunch of early foundational work on the neurodiversity paradigm and lately playing with uh, this uh, set of ideas I call neuroqueer theory. I'm a professor of psychology at California Institute of Integral Studies in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am an Aikido teacher and have been since my teens. And I'm also a writer of uh, speculative fiction and comics, including the Weird Luck webcomic, which I expect I'll be talking about more as our conversation goes on. Wonderful, thank you. And yeah, um, I think I'm, as I said at the beginning, I'm really pleased to to be able to speak to you on the podcast. Your work's been incredibly influential on, um, well, on my thinking and lots of people's thinking. And um, the book Neuroqueer Heresies is something that I, I frequently recommend to people to students and other people thinking in this kind of area so um yeah I'm really delighted that you're able to join us um and thank you for that bit of background about you as you said there's some things I guess there's some things that um you're asked to talk about more frequently than others and I'm I'm hoping that today's a chance to talk about maybe some of the things you don't talk about quite as much but we'll, we'll see where the conversation goes as we were saying before we came on, this podcast is part of a research project. The research project is called Ruling Passions, and it's exploring the complexity of what are often called autistic people's special interest. Are you okay with that term? I know it's kind of rooted in, again, what you might have might refer to as the pathology paradigm because of its origins, but... Yeah, I don't like the term. Uh, because it does have, it has this condescending vibe to it. And it has this, uh, it's sort of like special education or, oh, isn't that special? It, 
it seems it seems condescending and a little pathologizing and and I don't think it's accurate. I think it's a little misleading because uh, the I, I, well, I'll say in defense of the term special interests first, to be fair about this, it's a step up because if you look at the DSM criteria for autism, it talks about narrow and restricted interests. Yeah. And that's much worse and yeah, yeah. much, much more uh, judgmental and pathologizing. And so special interests, I think I would say is a step up from that, but it's not all the way there yet. And I actually really love the title of this project of yours. I love ruling passions. I think that's a much better term. I really, I really love that and hope that it, it ruling passions spreads. I mean, that's kind of what these feel like to me. Um, and I'll say that, you know, the, uh, uh, one of my objections to the term special interest is I think that uh, strong interests are part of the human experience and autistic people may have unusual ones. But if I look at, a, a, you know, a, a neurotypical like really hardcore sports fan, for instance, mm. you know, that's as, as intense uh, an interest and a passion as any interest I've had as an autistic person, you know, I mean, uh, uh, people who will riot over football games, you know, that's, that's a very intense, passionate interest there, you know, wearing the gear, the regalia of all their their favorite sports teams and, you know, talking about this latest sport event all the time. I mean, that's, it's very rare for me to be that passionately interested in something. And that's a very common thing in the non-autistic world. Uh, you know, there are autistic sport fans as well. So, so I think it's, it's more that um, we, uh, autistic people maybe uh, gravitate towards uh, uh, more unusual interests and passions, less socially sanctioned, mo more following the impulse of our own joy uh, without being as guided by peer pressure about what our interests should be. But even then in academia, I mean, I have neurotypical academic colleagues who you know are are experts on some obscure thing you know historical korean foreign policy or something and they've written you know multiple books and academic journal articles on this one topic and that's just that's just their career but they're very passionate about it so yeah i would say i celebrate this aspect of autistic experience and enjoy it immensely both my own uh, ruling passions and interests and those of other autistic people. And yet I think special interests has a way not only of sounding condescending, but also of making it seem like a uniquely autistic experience when it's just our particular take on a more universal and beautiful human experience. Absolutely. Lovely answer. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, I go backwards and forwards about the term special interest personally, because I, feel very similarly to you uh, in terms of the, the kind of pathologizing nature of it. And um, yeah, you talked about it as a universal experience, but then I speak to people as part of this podcast or on the project and they've 
feel really strongly that they've kind of reappropriated that term and they're using it for themselves. But the idea of ruling passions is something I like. The, the term I'm, I'm adopting ruling passions, it comes from uh, a couple of literacy researchers, um, mm. Barton and Hamilton. I mean, the, the term's been used in different ways, but it always struck me when I first came across the term as, as um, making... Uh, taking account of that idea of these things being they're, they're ruling in a in a positive way their passions their things that we really enjoy um particularly as autistic people but yeah uh, uh, the, the similar thing that um neurotypical people have and and the, the term ruling passions isn't linked um other than through this project to autism it is a it is a, a kind of universal mm -hmm. experience well um, i love the term i love i love how you're exploring it Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can't take credit for the term, but um, I, I will hopefully pursue uh, take it a little bit further. OK, so thank you for that context. Um, so now we're talking about your passionate interests, um, your ruling passions. Um, the floor is open really now to you to talk about whatever you want, whatever it is in life that you would call a ruling passion. Um, some people have started like kind of given a narrative through their life and talked about some of their early passions um for some people I know that they're very much the same as they were when they were young and and, and um in adulthood so you've talked a little bit about your interests at the beginning when I say ruling passions what 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 does it for you uh really what it is for me what immediately comes to mind is my uh, uh fiction and comics work yeah. You know, yeah. my writing speculative fiction and uh, you know the weird luck web comic. That's what comes to mind as really the project that sparks the most joy in me. And uh, I do notice uh, sometimes something will become uh, an area of interest, but it doesn't necessarily spark the same kind of joy that I would call it a, a, a ruling passion. Um, people are surprised often that the, I find the topic of autism very dull, for instance, uh, considering how much I've written about it and how much of my academic career I've built on it. You know, it was crucial for me to understand this topic and think through it uh, in service to my own self-understanding and to my, my community, you know, my, my autistic uh, fellows, my autistic community, uh, so I'm very, I have a, an interest in that sense, but I'm, I'm not that, you know, I don't actually read up very much on autism unless there's a, a, some really interesting new development in the field and then I'll check it out. But I'm generally speaking, it's a, a, a topic that I've learned enough about that it's kind of dull to me and it never really excited uh, joy for me is just like, oh, this is something I really need to think about as an autistic person who cares about my community. So uh, uh, that's surprising to people that, of course, it's the thing I do get called on to talk about most yeah, is autism and neurodiversity. And it is uh, something that I've become expert on without being terribly excited about. So, uh, and then there's um, uh Aikido is much more interesting to me, you know, and that I started training in Aikido when I was 12. And that certainly was a ruling passion for me and has been periodically, 
but it's also a, a practice. It's a piece of my life. It's integrated into my life. And so I, uh, it's a framework through which I view life and it shaped my embodiment. And, you know, maybe as much as being autistic has shaped my embodiment. Uh, but it's not something I talk about and think about all the time either because it's been so long, you know, I've been doing it for more than four decades and teaching it for almost that long. Yeah. And so uh, when I'm not actually in the dojo training and teaching, it's not a huge topic in my daily thoughts. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, my home is not, uh, you know, decorated with Aikido related <laughs> paraphernalia or yeah, anything. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, really in terms of, but it was a ruling passion, you know, and that was crucial. It was a crucial mm -hmm. for me to, for it to have been a ruling, ruling passion through my uh, adolescence, certainly uh, to, to get me launched into it, to where it just became a part of my life, like breathing. Uh, but yeah, it really, really is for me in terms of ruling passions, the uh, the fiction and comics writing. And that I wanted to make comics when I was a little kid. And, and I did in fact draw cartoons all the time when I was uh, in, you know, in high school. I drew all the time when I was a little kid. I read comics all the time I have. And that's definitely been a ruling passion since childhood, I mean, as even as even in my very early childhood i was accumulating like a you know a real encyclopedic knowledge of like 20th century newspaper comic strips and such yeah. so it's that was that was always this that whole storytelling medium uh was always a ruling passion for me and just having a rich fantasy life of I love getting wrapped up in very complex intricate stories and then having a rich fantasy life that was similarly complex in a sense getting uh, developing passionate interests in particular characters that either you know were in work that I was reading or that I was drawing and writing about but uh I started uh, collaborating in in high school when I was fifteen. I met uh, my friend Andrew Reichart, who remains uh, one of my very closest friends uh, all these years later. Yeah. And it's wonderful to just uh, be this old and have friendships that have lasted that long. And uh, Andrew and I started collaborating along with some other friends. Just started. Uh, co-writing stories and collaborating on world building and it uh, uh, it turned into uh, this sort of very elaborate you know world construction interrelated stories and character long-term arcs of different characters some of whom he developed some of whom i developed and uh so that turned into a whole uh, uh body of work that we've come to call the weird luck saga yeah. and uh andrew and we didn't 
publish any of this. We weren't writing for publication. Okay. You know, we're we're old. So it it uh this was, you know, back before there was like these days, there's like all these online forums where people post, you know, fanfic. I mean, my my daughter who's uh, uh about to turn 16 uh writes extensive fanfic yeah. and there's just all of these very active online discussion forums for fanfic and you know i mean she's got thousands of readers and i can't imagine having thousands of readers at 16 and you know it's just it's it's just uh it's 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 amazing to me that there's there's that kind of uh uh outlet that kind of venue available now for someone writing yeah as 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 someone who also grew up without the internet because i'm that age i think you can really see how that's changed people's relationships with the kind of culture that they're interested in or the kind of mm -hmm. cultural ex the kind of cultural expressions that are possible these days um compared to when certainly when i was younger and the only kind of access to any kind of external culture i had was probably through the radio or going to the the in terms of comics and things going to the magazine shop you know, right, to, the, right. to the news agents and staring at things on the shelf. That was like the portal to the other, the other world that people now have in their in their houses or in their pockets or in their rooms. Right. The comic shop. I remember. You know. I mean, I grew up in, uh, you know, in central New Jersey, kind of equidistant from New York City and Philadelphia, and there was this whole like, take the train into Philadelphia once a month to, you know for various things, but including like visit a specific comic shop where like, there's no, there's no good comic shop, you know, in my town. So you take the train into Philadelphia yeah. once a month to visit the comic shop and stock up on everything that's come out and, or just, you know, read what you can while you're there. Uh, so yeah, the, about a decade ago, you know, after long, you know, many, many years of doing other things, uh, but continuing to sort of talk about our stories yeah. and play with uh, play with the ideas, and, you know, do like tabletop role playing games around them and such. Uh, Andrew started actually publishing uh, uh, pieces of his writing around the world, Weird Luck Saga. And then uh, a short time later, I started doing that as well, publishing some writing and publishing some stories. And uh, about 2015, I was like, we need to do a, a webcomic. And of course, that was a medium that did not exist when we were young. But uh, I was very excited about this idea of, you know, doing comics. It's like in the old days, you know, you like, well, you write a comic script and how do you get it published? You know, self-publishing is a huge endeavor uh and uh getting a publishing company interested is very challenging and such but web comics are this whole amazing new do-it-yourself medium yeah. and they have a, a whole other a whole rhythm to them you know being able to uh tell an ongoing story and at the same time uh, uh make each page engaging so we got very excited about this i mean uh, particularly, you know, I mean, I was really like uh, obnoxiously a driving force there. Like, yeah, we have to do this. We have to do this. But yeah, it was an opportunity for us to actually co-write. And um, 
Andrew, the, the covers for the books that Andrew was self-publishing were done by a wonderful artist named Mike Benowitz, who'd gotten very excited about the story and very interested in doing some kind of graphic novel adaptation. And so, uh, yeah, he agreed to collaborate on the webcomic with us, co-create it. And so we have this wonderful collaboration going that's uh, uh, finally, you know, really taken off. Um, weird luck webcomic but all of my fiction all of my prose fiction and the comic and you know other future comic projects and such are all part of the weird luck saga they're actually all they're all interconnected so the same characters move in and out of them at different stages in their lives and story arcs and such and i just love that and that is you know really a ruling passion for me and it's kind of my uh uh, I mean, I do the bulk of the writing and then, you know, uh, Andrew is very busy doing grad school and such right now. But I, uh, uh, in terms of the long-term story creation, um, just I'm, I'm really uh, enjoying the benefits of uh, the, the autistic neurocognitive style uh, in this because it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a ruling passion. It's a, a really exciting bit of creativity. I'm deeply immersed in creating the story, but also my ability to track the story. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, we write the comic well in advance, but I don't keep written notes about okay. any of this stuff. Like there's a very elaborate, elaborately developed world and a lot of different intertwined stories and such. And all of that just lives in my head without really any effort on my part. And it's, it's uh, just very joyful having it there and getting to keep dipping into it and building it. Does that, you, talk, yeah. you talked a bit about world building and creating this, this kind of fictional world that interconnects. Does that, does that world kind of exist in your head before you bring it into being with writing or do you bring it into being with writing and then it's kind of comes back i'm just interested in what comes first do those thoughts kind of form is it all fully formed for you already and you're putting bits mm. out of there or is it the other way around how does it work it's both it's both it's an ongoing uh process sort of so a lot of it is in my mind already and then it gets clarified further through the writing process and of course through collaboration because there's there's wild cards, you know, there's there's characters that I've developed and then there's specific characters that Andrew has developed and knows better than me. And so periodically it's like, okay, well, here's a scene where there's some of my characters involved and, some, you know, one of Andrew's characters involved. And uh, so we'll co-write this and I don't know exactly what Andrew's character is going to do in this situation until we ask. I know how how my characters will respond in a given situation and so sometimes the story takes an interesting turn that way as you know i find out oh here's this here's this wild card here's someone which is great because i'm uh uh one thing i'm not as a control freak i really uh i really like this element of surprise and not having not knowing everything that's going to happen yeah, in advance yeah, yeah. and so having other collaborators is great so having andrew's collaboration and the writing is is that's always informing me because he'll come up with ideas that i totally did not expect or he'll have a character do something i didn't expect and that will take the take the story in a 
new direction. Um, my own character surprised me, which I love. I think to me, that's a sign that the characters really have life that yeah, sometimes until I'm writing a character in a situation, whether in a comic or just in prose fiction, uh, I don't know what the character is going to do. The character, I have an idea of how the story is going to go, yeah. but then it turns out the character wants to do something else. And being true to the character, I think, is crucial to writing good stories. And so I get surprised by where a story goes because oh, this character is doing this now, and that's that's what feels true to the character. And I did not expect that until I started writing, you know, the character's dialogue or the character's reaction. Um, a very much a character-driven writer. And then there's the collaboration with Mike Benowitz, you know, our co-creator who does the art for the comic. And that's a whole other uh, ex really exciting element to it because I have, you know, I do have scenes in my mind. I have scenes in my mind, like I just wrote a chapter of script for the webcomic. We write way ahead of, okay. because it, it's much faster to write a page of a comic than to draw a page of a comic, especially if you've seen the art for Weird Luck. Yeah, it's full color and very elaborate. And that is not that is not the kind of thing that one does fast. So, uh, so uh, the story is written about, you know, two or three years ahead of the, of it being drawn. Okay. And so, uh, the which is which is, has its own exciting like uh strange thing of like here i am sharing the latest page with readers and i know what's happening you know yeah 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 three years down the line and the readers don't and after like you gotta keep, keep a lid on the spoilers but uh but yeah i just finished writing this chapter uh, that I'd had in my mind uh, for probably five years or something. Okay. And uh, and it, it did not go exactly like I expected. Once I started writing it, there were shifts. Oh, wow, this is a surprise. I did not expect it to get this deep here. And I, you know, there, there are, the characters do surprise me once I start writing, but I knew the gist of the scene. And there are scenes that I'm like looking forward to writing down the road and such. I know the overall long-term plot you know in in a big way um and there's still room for surprises what i don't know is, is how it's going to look when mike draws it yeah and so i may have to pick this story pictured in my mind but uh mike always surprises me with his art you know it always surprises me how how good it is because you know no matter how good it is he keeps getting better with practice and so you know that always surprises me oh wow this is amazing but also uh, that shapes my storytelling choices because i see the art and it's like um the the look of the city where the comic takes place uh, is very much in Mike's hands, yeah. and 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 uh, that uh, Andrew and I, as as the writers, do not micromanage that at all. We really, uh, uh, um, there's 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 this funny thing with the character design that we do, where some characters I've been working with, you know, in my head or on in prose fiction for a long time, and I have a very precise idea of how they look. And so there'll be very extensive back and forth of 
uh, me describing them and Mike sends a sketch and I say, yeah, change this, change this, change this. And there's a, a very elaborate collaborative character design process. And sometimes that's get it closer and closer to the image that I had because I know exactly what this character looks like and it has to look this way to suit their personality. And sometimes the character is new and maybe just a very minor character. Um, and I don't have a strong opinion about how they look and Mike comes up with something and I'm like wow that is so cool and it makes me want to write more about this character yeah, like yeah, now yeah. this is going to be a more, more important character because I love how you drew the character so there's 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 that happening and there's there's just oh yeah like something about the way he draws this scene inspires me teaches me something new about the characters or about the setting um you know the questions he asks push andrew and i to do uh to fill in more details of the world yeah it's uh um it's a beautiful collaboration and i do love i love my solo fiction writing um in the same world uh, but I do, I do love this collaboration and the way that it it adds more complexity and more surprise to the process. It sounds like for, from the very beginning you've been open to collaborating with people, and you mm -hmm. talked about working very early on with Andrew, and it it really sounds like it 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 kind of brings a stimulus to you as well that you're it, it gives you a different direction. Um, it helps you develop your ideas in a way that wouldn't happen without those other people um yes and i think that's the beauty of collaboration with people it's the beauty of collaborating with people who get something isn't it who oh yeah are, who are on a similar wavelength i guess oh absolutely yeah there's there's i couldn't do this with just anyone you know it's yeah. very you know andrew and i had this creative you know synergy from the beginning right from the start and it's just very fortunate to 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 find Mike and you know to to find someone who who was also you know with whom we also had this creative chemistry and you know really bringing in a a a third collaborator into the world building who was contributing from a very different angle you know with uh, uh with his art and the particular style he brought you know it's 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 just uh, um. It's such a rich and complex process of of creative synergy that produces this, uh, and yeah, I love it. And I think that that's um, that's key for me is uh, the process of being surprised. And on the one hand, I'm I'm a very detail oriented uh, right. creator. A writer very detail oriented and um you know a long-term planner in terms of long-term long-term story plot and uh so there's a there's a strong element of uh getting all the details and guiding guiding them and being uh you know maintaining the artistic integrity and writing it as well as I can and detailed refinements. And on the other hand, again, the whole control freak thing doesn't appeal to me. I really need spontaneity and surprise in my creative life. And um, I think what happens, um, I see, unfortunately, you know, 
uh, a lot of autistic, you know, there's a lot of amazing autistic uh, creativity out there, but, uh, but a lot of autistic people uh, get scared of spontaneity. Uh, they've had, you know, uh, I mean, routine and stability and predictability is valuable when you're trying to navigate a very complicated, intense uh, sensory experience like autistic people have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that autistic people get, you know, uh, destabilized by surprises early in their lives. And it, it creates an association maybe between um, uh, unpredictability and anxiety, uh, you know, they, uh, and so they, they get a lot of anxiety. And so there's a lot of, you know, wanting everything very carefully scripted. I have always been a lover of spontaneity and, uh, and some of that may be, you know, decades of Aikido training, which is very much uh, an art of spontaneity because it's very much about synergy and responsiveness to a partner. You know, what is memorizing forms of movement? One is responding spontaneously to a partner one's in contact with, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, years and years of Zen practice. And so there's, there's this, uh, there's really this uh, openness to spontaneity that's a crucial part of my creativity and my creative process, and um, I feel like it 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 the 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 joy of the creativity dies if I, I plot everything too tightly and if I control everything too tightly, and so uh, there's got to be that spontaneous synergy of collaboration both with you know andrew and mike and whoever else i collaborate with and also uh with the characters of oh i gotta i gotta know when to let go of my preconceptions about the story and let the character drive yeah do you you, you talked about um being known for your work around autism um and then we've talked a lot about comics uh and other passionate interests what do you have kind um how structured is your your life around work and your life around your creativity do you spend do you spend a lot of your day thinking about your comics and your next moves for your characters and that kind of thing or do you kind of compartmentalize these different aspects of your life I do spend a lot of my time it is that and that's where I think of it as a ruling passion in a way that say autism isn't because it's like somebody ask me a question, an autism related question, I have to teach a course on it, give a lecture on it, get interviews about it. Well, of course it's right in the forefront of my mind, but when I'm walking around, like going about my daily business and my mind has space to wander, where it wanders to is the stories I'm working on or the comic uh, and, and what's next and what's next in the story. And, uh, you know, uh, this sort of ongoing engagement with the characters and scenes and stories that I want to write. Um, that's more where, where my mind goes. And so uh, in terms of structure of my, my life, I mean, I lead a pretty quiet life. Um, it's not that I set out to, to rigidly structure it, just that it, you know, I, I rarely have occasion to, to go anywhere you know, teaching, uh, teaching online these days. And, you know, I go, I go to the Aikido Dojo to teach and train at specific times, yeah. you know, multiple, multiple times a week. But uh, in terms of structure, I mean, um, 
I hike every day, you know, I live sort of at the foot of the, uh, 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 the Berkeley Hills, you know, this, this town of Berkeley, uh, across the San Francisco Bay from San Francisco, it's like to the, to the west of my home, everything slopes downward to the bay and to the east, it goes up into the hills. Mm. And so, uh, uh, my, uh, I, I walk up into the hills every day, do about, uh, uh, 60 60 minutes to an hour to uh two hours something like that of of just hiking up in the hills for exercise and fresh air sometimes alone sometimes with my spouse and then i'm you know exercising periodically throughout the day and uh you know i like to i like to keep in motion and since all of my work involves being at a desk at a computer same you know i've always i i'm i'm I, I work I work a lot of exercise breaks into that and uh when I'm when I'm out walking or when I'm you know uh running on an elliptical machine something like that uh always you know just in the shower or whatever there's always story yeah, yeah, yeah. happening with the mind I'm always engaged with like what's the what's the story I'm working on or future stories I want to work on. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's sort of where my mind goes to play without me really trying. Like I, I rarely try to steer it, but it's, that's where it's the ruling passion that like my mind naturally goes there. And it's just a sort of a, a happy place to be whenever there's there's space for uh, mental wandering. Yeah, I think that's what that that was the assumption I was making with that question. I think that that, that this was occupying a, a, a fairly significant part of your life, but not necessarily mm-hmm. the evening or at weekends. This is something that kind of is ongoing. You're carrying these stories with you and developing them, right? As you're doing other things. Um, yes. In terms of your, you've talked about your writing. You've talked about your comics. Is there a is there a piece of writing or a comic or a, or a a page or an aspect of your creative work that you're most proud of? Is there a is there a part of your world that you've created a character or a book or a chapter or a page that you're that you can point to as the best of your kind of creative endeavors so far? Or is that too simple? Is that to kind of atomize it too much? It might atomize it too much just because what I think is most, uh, what I think is most exciting about it and most interesting about it is the way that it all fits together. Is the fact that the Weird Luck, the Weird Luck webcomic is a, a very long plot that's just getting started. It's very elaborate and it's just lay, starting to lay groundwork for it. Um, and, uh, and it ties in with stories, you know, the prose fiction stories I've written, there aren't very many of them yet. And uh, the prose fiction stories Andrew has written and uh, the fact that it all ties together such that it's a, like a different experience. Read the comic stands alone, each story stands alone, but the more of the pieces you've read, the more it, uh, the richer the experience is. There's like, oh, wow, okay, my experience of this character in the comic is richer because I read this story that gives a bit of their backstory that's not apparent in the comic, but here it is, wow. Or uh, 
the experience is different. Like, oh, my experience of reading this piece is different because I read this piece first. And then if you read, you know, what order you read it in changes the experience you have of it. So I love how it all hangs together. And that, uh, and, and I think we'll see more of that as more pieces are, are written and as the comic goes on, because of course it unfolds slowly because of the limitations of it takes a long time to draw a page that good. But... Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm really proud of the way the whole thing hangs together, and in a sense, um, in terms of uh, you know, in terms of what's really representative, um, I mean, the web comic kind of to me is the the flagship uh, yeah. of of it all. Um, at the same time, the parts of the comic that I'm most excited about have not been drawn yet. No one's seen <laughs> them yet. It, you know, I mean, uh, me and Andrew and Mike have seen the scripts. And so it's like, okay, and, you know, this uh, this spring, the next chapter of the comic will launch. You know, Mike is drawing it right now. And, uh, uh, and I'm super excited about people seeing that. I kind of that's where I'm at. It's like, okay, you want to see like the the best thing that like most represents my creativity. Well, it's being drawn right now. You'll see yeah, it next yeah, year, yeah. you know. And, and by the time it's coming out, I'll be like, oh well, the best thing is yet to come. That's I've written it, and you'll see it. You know, in two years, you'll see it when it's when it's drawn. So, but uh, um, I just did. Uh, though I will say, I um. I just had a new prose story come out. Uh, Andrew edited uh, uh, a little anthology called Weird Luck Tales 8. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, published uh, seven issues of a zine over time. Like this is a little limited edition paper zine um, that was mostly just his short stories called Weird Luck, Weird Luck Tales. And he just decided somehow that number eight would be a whole book with uh, uh, stories that aren't related to our weird luck writing at all. Mostly they're just stories by uh, authors in the weird fiction genre who he loves. So, uh, you know, there's, there's seven stories by, you know, short stories by some really, uh, really good, very accomplished authors in there. Um, uh, some people who are, you know, kind of well-known in the, weird fiction, horror, fantasy, uh, genre. Um, and, uh, and then, um, and then the final story and the collection is my, my novelette. Um, like it's like, you know, almost novella length that almost could be its own little book. Um, yeah. uh, so this is a, a new novelette called Ruiz and the Echo Hotel. Um, that's a piece of the weird luck saga, um, that, and, I'm really thrilled with that. That was a very hard, long story to write. And uh, I'm thrilled with it. And it's also the first one that's like uh, erotic, which is interesting. Okay. That, that you know, I'm, I'm uh, um, I mean, I haven't started the process of physical gender transition yet. I've been out as trans uh, for, you know, four, four years or so now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, is it, it you know, trans lesbian and kind of, you know, had these uh, 
time to explore like how my own wonderful marriage has shifted with uh, my shift in my uh, my sense of my gender getting more overt about being femme and being in you know oh this is a lesbian marriage and that actually that which has vastly improved the marriage and was already great but uh, but it works even better as a lesbian marriage anyway so I was like okay this is my uh, 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 this was my first time uh, working a, a les lesbian romance and erotica into uh, into my fiction, and um, it's uh, uh, yeah, um, it, it was a big yeah, that was a big step for me. That was a big like sort of there's a difference between coming out and my author bio versus coming out in terms of uh, what I write as very really personal, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So, uh, so that was a big step, and I was really thrilled with how it came out to be writing like kink kinky lesbian erotica in something that's actually a piece of the whole the whole weird luck saga, you know, a crucial piece of the the overall story arc. So that, uh, yeah. So that I've, I'm so right now, yeah. That's the thing that's out right now, that's out in the world already that I'm most thrilled with. And would that be a good starting point for people interested in? kind of getting into the world that's come I would from your say, collaborations. Honestly, I would say the best place to start is to start reading the webcomic. Comic, yeah. I think I think read the Weird Luck webcomic because um, it's there online, it's free. There's not very much of it yet, yeah. but there's, there's some. There's four chapters of comic, and right now we're just running um, an old story that Andrew and Mike collaborated on uh, before the comic, just sort of, you know, spending a few months uh, while Mike draws the next chapter of the comic. But uh, the... Um, I think it's a fun place to start there and then to back up and and read some of the prose stories, uh, which are all which are backstory. Yeah. Uh, and there's even um, uh, there's an FAQ page on the on the the website on the webcomic site at weirdluck.net, and that actually tells uh, uh, there's one of the FAQ bits uh, is about how the uh, uh, how the stories how the prose stories relate to the comic, and so it actually talks about like where it happens in relation to the timeline, like how long before the comic does this story take place and how long before the comic does this story take place. So I think that's a really fun reference point for people who want to go back and delve into the stories and be like, oh, this is backstory from like, you know, a dozen years before the comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What sort of, you've, you've talked a little bit there about kind of real life experiences influencing this, um, this world that you're creating. Are there any kind of key influences in terms of literature or comics that you can that you really feel that you're drawing on or, or things that you liked at the beginning that really got you into this form of text creation mm, well i mean i just love comics in general as a, a medium i would say uh for storytelling um i would say and a lot picked up a lot of influences over time, but um, uh, there's a an indie comics artist named Matt Howarth who is not very well known. He's got this sort of uh, 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 long term 
you know, cult following, but he was an indie comics artist from uh, way back. Like he was uh, uh, doing stuff um, for a heavy metal magazine back in the, you know, late seventies and just like, I don't know, all through the eighties when I was a teenager, uh, he was, he was doing these like indie or small press comics and he's still working away mm-hmm. uh, doing most of his stuff in, in, in published entirely in digital form these days, but he's a total like uh, independent eccentric, uh, very possibly autistic for all, for all I know. I really get that vibe from him and his creativity is great and very driven by his passion for, for, uh, for interesting electronic music. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, cool. like music. He draws a lot of music for inspiration. Um, but uh, he had, Howarth had uh, uh, this whole world that he built that multiple, he had multiple comics taking place, multiple comic stories over time taking place in this world um, uh, centered around a city called Bugtown where uh um the uh the people who were born in bugtown could uh shift between alternate realities they could just uh, uh shift themselves out of one reality into another alternate universe and uh you know there's multiple you know potentially infinite alternate timelines alternate realities mm-hmm. and these people can shift between them and what is the what is the effect of that on uh, the uh, on the psyche and on uh, you know if everybody if so many people have this particular ability and some people can use it more skillfully than others and uh, what's you know sort of the uh, it sounds fabulous but the city is this like uh, complete you know dystopian wreck because it's it's of the the level of chaos that that creates uh uh very very interesting um and very fun and 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 he was at, you know and howard's work certainly back in the 80s was very like uh psychedelic clearly influenced by lots of psychedelic drug use lots yeah. of uh uh lots of blood and violence and uh yeah very um uh very fun stuff in a very distinctive style um but anyway andrew and i were reading that we were big fans of howard's work in the 80s when we were doing lots of psychedelic drugs and starting our our story collaboration and so that was a big influence you can you know i almost feel like you know because we're writing a story that takes place you know in a uh a city where reality is porous and uh you know there are uh you know alternate people who travel between alternate realities and uh you know not necessarily at will but they have magic or technology that can shift them between alternate realities and other people trying to police traffic between realities um there's definitely and the style is so different what we do but there's definitely the howard influence is definitely there i always feel like there's a big chunk of it that's definitely a tribute to like this is how we were shaped by howard's work when we were you know young teenage acid heads and Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so yeah, that influence is still, um, anyone familiar with Howard's work would, can, can probably see the influence there. And of course, Mike draws in a completely different style. So okay. it looks very different, you know, and, but yeah, so that would be, that would, I, I'd say, I would say be the, the central one there. That's wonderful. I'm going to do some Googling after this and I'll put some yes. links up obviously to your work, but to, to some of that as well. Um, we've just going over an hour at the moment. Um, so it's probably time to start wrapping up before we do. Is there anything, mm -hmm. is there anything on this topic that I've not asked about or anything you were thinking you might talk about that we've not covered? No, it feels like, I mean, if you kept asking things, I would just keep on talking because <laughs> obviously I love this topic. It is a ruling passion. And so there's, there's no end to what I can say about it. But I also feel like we've covered a lot and I just, I really hope that listeners will, uh, will check out the comic and then maybe, you know, again, there's a, you know, on the, the Weird Luck webcomic website at weirdluck.net, you know, there is that like, uh, there's a books page where you can see where the, where you can find the books that have uh, some, you know, Weird Luck prose stories in them and such, but definitely, you know, hey, it's free to check out the comic. So I absolutely uh, I hope everyone will. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I've obviously, I've obviously read. Um, I haven't read the whole thing, but I'm going to go back to it, and uh, it looks just wonderful. Um, we'll put all the links up to that kind of thing, and hopefully, there'll be some more more readers um, coming soon. But um, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for spending the time. Um, it's oh, thank really, you, Chris. It's really interesting to. It's always really interesting to hear about people through the things that they're interested in. And um, yes. this is this is, has been. Um, absolutely the same that it's great to learn about you through um some of the things you're really passionate about so thank you for spending the time very much appreciate it oh thank you very much chris wonderful talking to you <laughs>